Bitcoin, crypto bubbles, passive indexation. There's a lot of financial jargon out there. Old Mutual can help you make sense of it all and give you great advice to make the right decisions. If you've got a question or want to know how to get the most out of your money, call them on 0860 60 60 60 or speak to an old mutual financial advisor or your broker. Today's the day. Get great financial advice so you can do great things. Old Mutual is a licensed financial services provider. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702, your number one news and talk station. Hello, good evening. Welcome to The Money Show. It's brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. It's going to be a great money show for you this evening. If you missed out on some of our best interviews of the week, we'll replay you snippets of them to tantalize you, to get you to listen to our podcasts. If you missed the show, you can always download the podcast. You can ask that personal assistant on your Apple phone. I'm not going to mention her name. She comes alive and interrupts the money show. Um, but you can say to her, hey, you, you know her name, please play the latest money show podcast. And she does. Um, and it's very nice. I'm watching my phone out of my, giving it a side eye just to make sure that it uh, doesn't activate. And it didn't because I didn't use the key words. But yes, you can do that. But just to tantalize your taste buds this evening, I'm going to bring you uh, Chef Siba. She was huge. Everybody wanted to read all about her online this week. And then Rich Paul Holland, um, the business consultant who gets his clients to play board games, strategic board games, and he smuggles with their brains. Those are two of the interviews you're going to hear this evening, including the skepticism around the listing that didn't happen today, and that was the listing of Sagamata. It was all due to come to the market today after a capital raising on Wednesday, but the plug was pulled on Tuesday. We'll do all of that tonight. Play the Brutal Biz Quiz. We'll talk about markets, and we'll talk, give you a positive perspective on the investment outlook for South Africa in just a moment. The Money Show on 702. Your number one news and talk station. It's good to see that the Reserve Bank is ordering an independent review of the business conduct of VBS. This is VBS Mutual Bank, most famous uh, initially for lending about eight or nine million rand or thereabouts to then President Jacob Zuma um, to pay back the money, the money for the pers- for the for the personal upgrades part of uh, Nkandla. Um, and now the investigation, which is going to be carried out uh, by Advocate Mutau, is going to look at any of the business business that VBS was conducted? Was there intent to defraud depositors or creditors to the bank? Was there any other fraudulent purpose? This is big stuff coming out of the Reserve Bank. Um, and they're not going to instigate a, a, a forensic investigation like this without a fair amount of suspicion. And we know that the, um, that the curator Anush Rupal um, has said he's concerned about the business processes within VBS toward the end, whether there's been any irregular conduct by shareholders, directors, executive management, staff, stakeholders, or any related parties. So, yeah, big uh, forensic investigation being launched into VBS Mutual Bank. And it's good that we get the clarity on what did and did not happen within that small bank that was held up as this great bastion of opportunity and growth and um, this great lots of hero worship at the time that was put into curatorship, one doesn't see much evidence of that around right now. 702, The Money Show. Call Bruce on 011-883-0702. It's really refreshing to see the investment industry start to adjust its view on South Africa as a place that is good 
to grow money. The chief executive confidence index came out today. Somebody does that. And that showed that CEOs are feeling considerably more optimistic. Business confidence is beginning to perk up. Consumer confidence is perking up. And so is the confidence of Andrew Cantor, the chief investment officer of Future Growth Asset Management. A couple of years ago now, Andrew, uh, you were very critical, for example, of some state-owned enterprises. And you said you were worried about governance and you were really concerned about committing your investors' money uh, into to lending to some of them. But, but the, South Africa seems to have turned a very, very significant corner, and it's an observation you make in this week's Financial Mail. Yeah, so thanks, Bruce. Um, I, I, yeah, I was reflecting that, you know, we've, we've all had this sense of this weight on our shoulders for nearly a decade of decay and lost opportunity. We've only had kind of three months of having turned the corner. But, but when you look back uh, on, on what we've learned and what didn't happen, it, it you don't have to be all pessimistic about it. I mean, the whole SOE debate from Futuro's point of view was about should we lend money to the SOEs? Do they have governance at all? And is it reasonable? Well, we, we assessed we assessed four SOEs in detail and we cleared them. That was without, you know, prejudice or fear or favor or being told what to do. We actually did assess their governance and subject to some relatively small changes. IDC, DBSA, Land Bank, and even Sunroll have good governance practices and policies. We've never cleared Eskimo and Transnet. They're in the middle of some very big charges and allegations to be investigated. Um, but that's four out of six, you know, and that's not a bad record. Um, so I, I was kind of reflecting that maybe it's time to, to, to take a view of what went right rather than what went wrong. Oh, yeah, South Africa's constitution, judiciary, stay, uh, standing the test, the free press playing a critical role, democracy itself playing a critical role, civil society doing its, its ultimate um, to really put pressure on political players. And of course, key institutions like the National Treasury, for example, holding on uh, very tightly, the Reserve Bank, um, and then the Sitja Hanyaho fighting that particular fight, uh, the judiciary, um, and also business and labor and coming to this party as well. There was a huge level of cohesion during the darkest times of 2016-17. Mm. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if it was cohesion as much as, as individuals in each of their realms playing the role that they should play at that moment of history. Sure. The academic reports. I mean, we have to. I, I, I mean, I don't think any of us at the time of the drafting of the Constitution could have understood the power and importance of a free and independent press. Some of us will remember in 2013 that the administration actually tried to squash the power of their free press, and thank goodness didn't get away with it. Because I mean, to, to, for, for internal whistleblowers to to leak emails out that that became public that became eventually irrefutable and the weight of evidence coming down to the ballot box. I mean, the ANC got trounced in the municipal elections in 2016 and, and the outlook for 2019 was going to be truly shocking. I think it literally helped force the change uh, within the ANC itself. That's democracy in action. That's a positive thing. Okay, so we talk politics. That political environment has changed. What about the financial environment? We, we narrowly dodged the, the, the full downgrade um, that came our way. Moody's, in fact, gave us a small upgrade to take us from the very brink of, of of complete junk status, um, we seem to be, again, being given the benefit of the doubt. Are we doing enough to convince other ratings agencies that we are going to be able to pay our debts over a long period of time? Okay, so so first of all, it's early days, right? You're, yeah. you're three months into a partially sure. new administration. Let's be clear that there wasn't a wholesale change of the administration, and you're only three months into it. You are going into an election year, which is always a difficult time for any political party to start cutting costs. But I think there's a there's an element of faith and confidence that the new administration is going to exercise fiscal control. Just the fact that they're putting, uh, I shouldn't say, putting the screws to uh, to the SOEs that are have have had the most allegations of malfeasance, not just throwing money at at the 
SOEs uh, such as Eskimo Transit to bail them out, but say you must, you know, make your way in the world and you must change your governance and improve your practices and be accountable before we give you more support and money. That's a very positive thing. So I think I think that's why we got a stay of execution on the most recent downgrade. But these things are slow moving metrics, so you're not going to see upgrades for a few years, and that's going to require economic growth. The bottom line is economic growth improves with confidence. Um, uh, interest rates have, have room to fall because the inflation outlook is, is very benign at the moment, um, and that might boost growth. Global growth is pretty good. We just didn't ride that bus because of the lack yeah. of domestic confidence and capital flight. So, I mean, you could get a picture in a few years' time where you really look a lot better. Uh, and you talk about South Africa has no more governance problems in its public and private sectors than many other economies. And you say that, you know, right now South Africa is in a unique historical position to affect positive change, which gets to the next critical point that this stuff doesn't just happen on sentiment and feel good. There's really hard work that has to be done and we we can't sit back and expect someone else to do it. Well, well, I mean, I think the interesting thing about South Africa, and if you think about the drafting of the Constitution of South Africa uh, in the early 1990s, and that became almost a template for the best practice constitution in the world, I think there's a there's a moment here where we can assess the institutions of state, and I'm hoping that people in government, government and in their realms uh, of influence are assessing what went wrong and what would, won't go wrong in the future. When I talk about the, the that our governance issues are no worse than the rest of the world, I mean, it's corporate and it's government. I mean, it's the SOEs and it's the Steinhoffs and in Indeed, I mean the the tiger brands and 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 the listeriosis uh, depths. I mean these are these are things that we as investors can sit around the table in a relatively few rooms with regulators, with the JSC, and improve listing standards, improve reporting requirements, improve disclosures materially, and become a template for the world. I mean this is in Europe. You try to get investors together. They spread across 18 jurisdictions with 27 different regulators, and it's impossible to achieve an outcome. In South Africa, we can, and we've done it before, sit around the table like big boys and actually actually move forward and be a template for the world. Uh, tell me what your concerns are with the comment, I deplore the weak standards in South Africa's listed corporate bond market. Is this specific reference to Steinhoff or is it bigger than that? Oh, and it's much bigger than that. This is, I mean, the, the, the fact that um, that the the reporting standards for the JSC listed bonds are are really non-existent. I mean, that that uh, a listed share, if you were to change a, a director on your board, you have to put out a sense announcement. A JSC listed bond, um, the the Minister of Water Affairs fired the entire board of Mgeni Water last year and didn't even have to tell anybody. There was no reporting requirements to that. And it's not just that. I mean, changes to 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 a whole ramp of financial and governance metrics that simply don't have to be reported upon. And even if, by the way, even if, by the way, you find out something, you have no mechanism under the JSC rules to actually call a bondholders meeting. There's no way to do it right now. So this is, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible state of affairs for investors to affect their, their role in civil society of not only protecting in their investors and investors generally, but overseeing companies that borrow the money and, and ultimately protecting society. Uh, your concern there, of course, is in the case of the bond market and the bond market, um, all of us, whether we know it or not, are invested in the bond market if we've got any kind of um, future savings, any kind of retirement annuity or any kind of pension product because uh, our fund managers will um, lend, give money to people like you to lend to corporates and lend to companies. And if they're up to all kinds of shenanigans and we don't know about it, well, that's our pensions at risk. Well, that's right. So, so we, we all take a lot of comfort from the JSC equity market and we take that comfort not because the JSC itself is such a is so wonderful and protecting you they are basically a market where you can buy and sell shares as we saw this week in the story you're going to talk about later on in the show what almost got away with yep. but the the fact is your shares 
as an equity investor the same as management shares, or the same as a pension company shares, and you have whole, uh, pension fund shares, and you have a whole bunch of company law protection that protects you as a minority. There is no such thing as a bondholder. That you are you are ill-informed, you have no protections, you have no ability to act, and your professional investment advisors, me, are almost powerless to protect you. All we can do is do credit assessment at the beginning and hope for the best. I'm assuming you've gone to Nicky Newton-King, who is the chief executive of the JSE, which runs not only the equity market but the bond market too, and have expressed these concerns? The JSE well knows our view. Uh, and their response to you? They're much more positive. Um, in fact, um, they've stopped uh, listening to uh, narrow groups and started listening to larger groups, institutional investors who have been living through these debacles of the Steinhoffs um, and the, the other defaults we've seen, you know, uh, Consolidated Infrastructure Group and African Bank that went bust a few years ago. The investors now have realized uh, that, that their position is untenable to be able to look after investors and are now speaking with a common voice to the JSC, who is actually engaging in a very productive way at this point. So at least we're starting to get some forward movement. Good to hear. Andrew Cantor, thank you very much indeed. He is the Chief Investment Officer at Future Growth Asset Management. A really nice, upbeat view of um, South Africa, the opportunities that South Africa, with which South Africa is presented right now. And again, it's our economy to, to mess up. We headed for potentially, I know the World Bank has said we're going for, for max 1.4% growth. I wonder whether or not we're not going to hit the 2% growth level this year. It's just There is the sense of optimism and the sense of a rising tide, and when tides rise, ships are lifted um, and we could very well get a nice upside growth surprise this year, but it does depend so heavily. Long term, we've got to get the changes that many of our commentators talk about all the time. The ability um, to move money, the ability to do business more simply, the ability not to be tied up in red tape, all of that stuff that we could talk about until we blew in the face, but without action, we're going to really stymie our growth prospects. The Money Show. The Markets. Greg Katzenellenbuch, and it's been like 18 months. Well, that's how long it feels for me. I don't know about you. Uh, but it's lovely to have you on The Money Show. Hello. Oh, thank you, Bruce, on <laughs> Friday the 13th. Has it been a, a lucky or an unlucky day for investors? Well, I'm surprised the market eked out a small gain on, on Friday the 13th, but it wasn't great for uh, investors in bank shares today. But, yeah, but um, when, when at lunchtime the JSC was up about half a percent and things were going really well and then suddenly as we came toward the close we hit a wall. Yes, well, uh, US, uh, today's the start of the US reporting season so you had Citibank and JP Morgan out with the results and the results were quite good but both warned that there was uh, some tough times ahead and then of course Wells Fargo came out with their results and it looks like they've still got some problems so you started seeing a a sell-off in uh, the U.S. market and that f- uh, fed through to our market. Yeah, and Wells Fargo is a, is a Warren Buffett business, isn't it? I mean, he's had some really bad luck in investing in financial services companies over the last 30 years, and Wells Fargo is another one. These were the guys who were setting up the fake accounts because people were being incentivized to create bank accounts, and they were making up names and doing all sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. It hasn't been a great, you know, the share price is stuck in that $50 range for a long time now. Just can't get going. They changed the management as well. They fired a lot of people. So, uh, But it seems that uh, they haven't got rid of all the rot yet. No, and that's uh, being brought to bear. And, of course, it does have a negative impact on us sitting all this far away, 16 hours away from New York, and it still hits us. Um, Hammerson. Now, this has been such an interesting story to watch because Clepierre, uh, 
um, which is a French uh, property owner, it's a French shopping centre owner, has been wanting to buy Hammerson for quite some time. And finally, Hammerson seems to have shown them the door. Yes, uh, of course, all related to valuation, and they felt that they were being undervalued. As you know, Hammerson are also looking to buy into properties, so of course that was very positive for into because they thought that you know that deal now has got more likelihood of going ahead. Okay, so Clepier moves away from Hammerson, or Hammerson gets rid of Clepier. Hammerson wants to grow. It wants to buy Intu, which is the shopping center half of the old Liberty International. Um, and it's and Intu is trading at a fraction of what it was before the Brexit vote was announced. It's probably tra- trading at 60% of the value um, pre the Brexit vote. Um, and so Hammerson's seeing an, an opportunity in its own UK market. Yes, I think that uh, it's a pretty good uh, acquisition. You know, Intu's got some... Uh, top-class properties in their portfolio. So I think it's uh, an opportune moment. Brexit messed everything up for Into and uh, the UK property market. So, But as you started to see that, you know, the pound has come all the way back against the US dollar from about 122 to about 142. So there's uh, more confidence that I'm not sure when Brexit will happen, if it ever will happen. No, but that's the thing. I mean, they're talking about the sort of magical date in the first quarter of next year. I forget the exact date. It's either the 31st of March or something. You know, it's, it's a year away, roughly, um, that the sort of Brexit is going to be triggered. But you're getting the sense that fewer and fewer people in the UK believe it's going to happen. Yes, a lot of people fear. And also with the Into, you know, they're all many of the quality shopping centres and they've got the Covent Garden, I think. And so real prime uh, real estate. And uh, everyone was concerned that, uh, you know, because of Brexit, the US economy, uh, the UK, UK. economy would, yes, would UK. collapse. And uh, that doesn't seem to be um, the case. So it might even, the economy might uh, bumble along for a while. But, uh, you know, a collapse, I don't think, is on the cards yeah. anymore. And that'll be good for consumer spending. Interesting deals are being done all the time in that uh, in that economy. Um, Richemont bounced on the day. Woolies and Mediclinic were up. Was there any news around Mondi? Mondi suddenly um, caught fire today. Yes, Mondi. It's you know they've been uh, re-rated. So uh, and there was some uh, positive news out from uh, a brokerage house on, on okay. Mondi. So that uh, pushed up the price nicely. It's a good quality share, real quality, and. Um, so it was good to see the share move up quite sharply. It's amazing, isn't it, to think that Mondi was spun off out of Anglo-American and has just outperformed Anglo-American so very substantially ever since it was spun off. Um, and, you know, much better independent than under the, the the direct control of Anglo. Well, Bruce, many times companies that are spun out of bigger companies have gone on to do very well. You only have to look at Ferrari spun out of uh, Chrysler, Fiat, and uh, how that price has gone from about $30 to 120 If you think PayPal was spun out of eBay and how that share is more than uh, tripled. So um, uh, these companies that are, are good companies and are spun out of the parent uh, many times and makes a lot of sense to buy them. You bring tears to my eyes when you talk about Ferrari being spun out of Fiat. I've just got images of Ferraris, <laughs> beautiful big fat red Ferraris getting uh, getting bludgeoned. Um, but yeah, so good. Uh, no, the market seems to be in a fairly good place. Something like Andrew Cantony, you would have heard uh, the discussion with him just a moment ago. Uh, do you get the same sense of optimism in the, the fact that actually, you know, although the market's been pretty volatile, South Africa is on a steady 
achingly yeah. slow but a steady recovery path. Yesterday, Bloomberg put out a story as well that given the problems with the Turkish lira and the Russian ruble that the South African rand was actually a haven for emerging market investors. So when was the last time you heard that? The Reserve Bank also put out a statement thinking that growth could be better than everyone is believing. And today, the South African Treasury t- tried to sell 600 million rand of inflation-linked bonds. They couldn't sell them all. And he sold about 360 million. So maybe people are saying, listen, you know, inflation is going to come down further. Explain that to me, please, because that's an important thing. So he has an inflation linked bond. In other words, we will pay you a return linked to the inflation rate. And if you don't think that inflation is going to keep going up and up and up, you're going to say, no, thanks. I'd rather wait for a better price. If you think inflation is going to go up, then you buy an inflation linked bond because inflation goes up then you get that uh, extra payment and but if you think that inflation is going to come down then you would just buy the normal uh, government bond so it's interesting that uh, they couldn't get those bonds away which means a lot of people think that inflation might um, uh, come down further although I don't want to rain on that parade but one must you know oil prices starting to move up quite yeah, sharply I don't like that. Yeah. and the rand around the 12 mark so it's it's a concern but it is interesting that for once the market is looking at South Africa's inflation picture and saying perhaps it's not all as bad as it's made out to be. No, the things are really looking positive in South Africa and uh, so and that's a, a fabulous thing as South Africans. It's nice to be able to go overseas and your money can actually buy you something. Yeah, for somebody who's looking at, uh, uh, at the cost of travel. <laughs> it's blooming terrifying, even at a fairly decent exchange. Greg Katzenelenbuch, and thank you. He is with Sunlum Private Wealth. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. If you've ever played that car racing game, you know the one with the plastic tracks that click into each other, Scalextric. If you've ever played that, you'll have an idea of how this great innovation from Sweden works. It's the world's first electrified road. And they've got a track down the middle of the road and cars drive over these. And I suppose it must have some sort of mechanism from the car that touches this electrified rail and it recharges the batteries of cars and trucks. It's been opened up in Sweden. It's the first one. It's about two kilometers of electric rail that's been embedded in a public road near Stockholm, which is the capital. And the government's roads agency has already drafted this national map for future expansion. Cars drive over this rail and they tap into this electrical charge and you get an electrical charge on the move. In the same way as those little wire brushes in scale electrics get their energy from the tracks, electric cars of the future in Sweden may very well be powered in this way. It's absolutely Brilliant. On the next Money Show, I'm talking to Andrew Jennings on his book, Almost Is Not Good Enough. It's all about retail. It's all about how he was poached from sacks of Fifth Avenue to come to South Africa to help change the retail landscape here. That's our business book feature. Also, for entrepreneur, restaurateur and chef Bartas Basson, our Make Money Monday special edition feature. That's all coming up on the next Money Show. 702 The Money Show. Bruce is on Twitter at Bruce Business. Time for you to play catch up with a smattering of the best bits from The Money Show this week. You can download our podcasts daily. You can share them with anyone you think might find them interesting and useful. You can, and we've had a really enjoyable week this week. We brought you some of the best and decidedly odd stories about money and markets this week. By far the oddest story, and I don't mean to go on about it, and I hope I don't ever have to mention it again, but Sagamata Technologies. Missed them already, which was prevented from listing on the JSE today. 
I still don't get it why they didn't find, fight harder to get that listing away. The amount of time and money invested in getting to a point where you can list is huge. Millions are spent on process and getting the I's dotted and the T's crossed. The JSC told them on Tuesday that they'd failed the requirements on a technicality. They claimed that they'd done everything that was required, yet they didn't fight the JSC on this point. They didn't provide the proof that they had indeed uh, crossed the T's and dotted the I's. It's very, very, very odd indeed. But then most things about this listing were were odd. It had punted itself as the next tech giant, this black unicorn, this great African technology player, the same as Amazon and Google one day. And yet it failed in the basic tests to list on the JSE. It gained independent valuations in the US and the JSE investors just failed to see the magic that they were seeing in themselves. Somebody made the point online, high and on ambition, but not much else. Earlier in this week, we spoke to Amabungani's investigative reporter, Sam Soul, who, when the prospectus came out about two weeks ago into this Sagamata business, he did some digging. What the pre-listing statement discloses is that um, Second Valley Independent Media, SIN, um, is is in, in, in pretty dire straits. Um, it's uh, technically insolvent. Um, it discloses that the current Sagamata um, uh, also uh, is, is uh, um, you know, has has a debt and, uh, um, you know, is, is not, not very... Uh, not, not, not a, a, a very successful company at this stage, um, and that the the com- combination of the two, if 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 um, if everything is put together as is planned, uh, prior to the um, the private placement, the net asset value of that combination would be um, sort of minus uh, about thirty to thirty cents per sh- per share, um, and uh, even with the injection of three billion. Uh, it would be um, uh, net, the net asset value would be positive, uh, only around I think between two hundred fifty, two hundred, two hundred seventy. If, if memory mm. serves me. I mean, uh, when, when, when and, and they, the, if I could just find a, sure. finish the point for this two hundred seventy per share, they want to to uh, investors to pay uh, just under 40, 40 rand, and that forty rand valuation is based on the projection, on the hope, on the the, the trust that this. Uh, unicorn is going to become the African Amazon, and and uh, we're just raising questions about that, particularly because it seems that um, the most likely white knight to arrive on the scene to to make that sort of investment, given those sort of conditions, would be the Public Investment Corporation. Public Investment Corporation is what he was saying, and that did not happen. It didn't happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we wait to see what the next move is going to be. The microscope increasingly being turned on the directors of Steinhoff, and it's getting very, very hot indeed under that uh, very sharp light. Yanni Rousseau, who is Wits University's head of the Economic and Business Sciences School, he told us why he was very grumpy this week about Steinhoff directors. And um, Steinhoff directors tried to get to the AGM a... Uh, a, a, a motion to get huge extra salaries to fix the mess, which Yanni Rousseau says they were part of making in the first place. This is completely unacceptable. These board members clearly don't understand the damage they've done to Steinhoff, to the shareholders of Steinhoff, and 
to the market economy as we know it in South Africa that they can keep on insisting going forward with this proposal is completely unacceptable. And it really shows how uh, incapable these people are of understanding their actions, and they should therefore just not be on Steinhoff Sport. It also asks questions, it also raises questions about their fitness to serve on other boards. And I really urge other companies where these individuals serve to consider whether they are fit to serve on their boards. Uh, I want you to elaborate on that because that is a very, very strong statement from somebody, a senior academic, the Wits University, head of the School of Economic and Business Sciences. Please substantiate why it is that these individuals should not be, in your view, allowed to serve on other boards or why other companies shouldn't countenance their serving on those boards. Well, clearly they didn't discharge proper corporate governance at Steinhoff while they served on the boards of Steinhoff. So how can we have any confidence that they're discharging proper corporate governance at any other boards on which they serve? Sure. Uh, on Monday, our Make Money Monday special edition guest was not nearly as uh, as concerned and as uptight and as and as angry about anything. Chef Siba was here, host of Siba's Table on Food Network. She is global. She's huge. She's vivacious. She talks an awful lot. Good competition, actually. She revealed to us that her parents initially hadn't been very happy that she wanted to get into the kitchen and cook. This is not a career my parents were very happy for me to take. In fact, when I made the decision in my matric year to take food as a career, my mother stamped her fist and said definitely not because she thought it would be something I was wasting my brains. It would not be something that would be financially viable. And I think they felt they had invested so much in us for me to just waste it away in doing mm-hmm. food. She just didn't get it. So um, it was hard making the decision, convincing my parents to do that. And that also meant um, that it, I got it with a condition that this was my gap year. Okay. Yes, my my parents saw it as a gap year, and I'll come back to my senses and I'll be a lawyer. Aren't you glad you didn't? I'm glad. I'm really glad. But what that meant was that I had to work really hard because I only had one year to prove to my parents. I did a degree um, in food and consumer sciences, and I majored in food science and in nutrition. So that first year, I worked so hard, and fortunately, I was selected by my lecturers to receive a, a scholarship, a bursary from the Department of Agriculture. Um, to sponsor me up until my fourth year, which would then comp- would complete my degree. So I did not need my parents anymore. <laughs> so you didn't need their permission. Have they forgiven you? They have because they see the success that I've had in the industry. Um, they know I'm a hard worker just like them. And um, I, they're, they're really proud. I mean, the opportunities that I've had in terms of traveling, in terms of exposure and everything else that comes with my job, I don't think I would have had mm. it even if I was a lawyer. Chef Siba, living the dream. She certainly would have had it if she was a lawyer. She would spent her life with a nose in books and boring books, not fancy things like lovely cookbooks. Rich Mulholland, he travels the world too. Um, he's a business consultant. He's a public speaker. He talks about business. He talks about management. He talks about leadership. He talks about all sorts of things that help businesses run better. One of the things he does is he plays board games with company executives and helps them to see their own companies and strategies differently. And on Tuesday, we looked at the science of board games in the boardroom with Rich Mulholland, who told us why it works. 
when we start speaking to them, we don't say to them, guys, we're going to play a game that's going to make you think differently about business. What we say is uh, to start today off, we want to get a little bit of creativity going. So what we're going to do is we're going to build a game. We're going to uh, play a game, and I just want to show you that sometimes legacy thinking gets in the way. So you think you hate board games because you played Monopoly and it was frustrating, but now I'm going to show you that just because that wasn't good doesn't mean everything isn't good. So we con them. At the beginning, they think they're playing a board game purely for the fun of playing the game. It's only after we've landed the concept of the game itself that we say, okay, now we're going to use it. So, because if I went in telling them, we're going to use, I mean, there's nothing more condescending. Hey, you're a banker. Let's show you how to run a bank using Bankopoly. Oh, for goodness sake. <laughs> you know, it's so bad. That's the lowest level of, of kind of using games. Let's show a guy how to build a bank by playing a board game about building a bank. It's so fundamentally uninteresting. Whereas, let's get a principle across, a new way of, let's give you a new lens and prove to you that if this happens, you would always make that decision 10 times over. And then show you, but wait a minute, in your business, despite that logic, you're not doing the same thing. That's a problem worth solving. And once they see that, they're in a dissonance. Big words as well. Rich Mulholland, he runs a business called Missing Link. Those are some of the best bits from The Money Show from this week. If you want to hear more of those interviews, if you want to listen to episodes of The Money Show, you can ask Siri, you can go, Hey Siri, please play the latest Money Show podcast. And she will, because she's a very obliging uh, little assistant. She really is. Um, And there it is. I promise it is. It's come up on my screen. Play! It will. Crypto bubbles, passive indexation. All of that stuff. You see, that is the podcast. What an odd place to start. The Money Show. The Biz Quiz. Time for the Brutal Biz Quiz on a Friday night. You give us a call at 011-883-0702 or 021-446-0567, whichever number floats your boat. You get bragging rights for the whole of the week. You get to tell your friends, hey, I am the whiz of the Biz Quiz. That's a good thing to tell your mates. What is an unmanned aerial vehicle more commonly known as? You can't really say, hey, I'm going to take out my unmanned aerial vehicle now. People get very bored of your pompous tone. It's got a better name. What is that name? 011-883-0702-021-446-0567. Give us a call and why don't you play the Brutal Bears Quiz this Friday night. The Money Show. The Biz Quiz. Brutal Biz Quiz time on this Friday night. Let's play the Brutal Biz Quiz tonight and Jack is through first. Uh, What is an unmanned aerial vehicle better known as Jack? It's a drone, Bruce. It is a drone, Jack. Uh, we spoke to Donovan Murray, Chief Executive of Global Concepts Group Asia. He owns a drone deal shop in South Africa. He says people are going mad for drones. What is the financial term which is used to describe a privately held startup company which is worth more than a billion dollars? Uh, is it not possibly a unicorn? It is possibly a unicorn, absolutely. Uh, the term was coined in 2013 by a venture capitalist called Aileen Lee, choosing the mythical animal to represent such a rarity, because these things are not common. It's very, very hard to become a unicorn. You can call yourself a unicorn even if you're not, but few people will believe you. Uh, what is Chef Siba Mdongana's show on the Food Network called? Oh, I just missed that. I'm out. Oh, Jack, I'm so sorry. Come back, Jack. Thank you, Jack, uh, for playing this evening. Um, What is Chef Siba's Food Network show called? Uh, 
Um, that was our, that what I would like to know from you this evening on 021-446-0567. Igor? Hi, Bruce. Sorry, I didn't hear the question. Um, my phone broke up. Chef Siba's Food Network show is called what? Oh, shucks. He just had it on. <laughs> no, uh, I'm going to pass. Sorry. <laughs> we gave you the answer. I do love that part of the game. <laughs> Modise? It's Siba's table, Bruce. Do you watch Siba's table, Modise? Yes, I do sometimes with my wife. <laughs> oh, with my wife. Real men can watch cooking programs by themselves. We won't judge, honestly. Um, she was our Make Money Monday's guest. Her mom and dad wanted her to be a lawyer, but she, thank goodness, didn't. And she's far more useful to all of us um, as a TV chef. Who is also known as Zuck? Who was known as what, Bruce? Who is also known as Zuck? Zuck. I can't, I can't even get to you nicely. Oh, Mudise. Oh, sorry, Mudise. The line quality is just so awful. If you know who Zuck is, I'd love to know. 011-8830702-021-446-0567. The Money Show. The best quiz. Patience, Adrian. Patience, patience, patience. Okay, Mohammed. Um, who is also known as Zuck? Uh, I need to put the call on. I know that uh, because that sucked. Uh, Who's known as Zuck, Mohammed? Mr. Zuckerberg of Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg, absolutely right. The yes. Facebook chief executive enduring two days of questioning in front of Congress. Didn't seem like Congress understood what he was talking about. What popular board game was derived from the landlord game? It was created in the United States in 1903 by somebody called Elizabeth Magy or Maggie. The landlord game today we call Monopoly. Mohammed, you're the whiz of the biz quiz this evening, the brutal biz quiz. Mohammed gets bragging rights for the next week at least. Maybe you can even stretch it out for a week longer just to say, you know what, I was once the Bruce of the Brutal Biz Quiz. Mohammed, well done to you and thank you for listening. Thank you for playing. Thank you for your calls and for your SMSs and your tweets and everything else that you've sent us during the week. Please keep those coming and have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Till next time, bye-bye.